Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? When you think about the idea of preaching the gospel, what comes to mind? Do you see a pastor standing before his congregation, teaching them that Jesus died for their sins? Do you think of a fiery evangelist standing before a large stadium of people shouting, repent or go to hell? Do you envision young adults on the beach handing out pamphlets with the ABCs of salvation? These are just a few of the scenes I might have envisioned when I heard the phrase, preaching the gospel. All of them involve the idea of Jesus dying for our sins so that we can go to heaven. But the question is, what did the biblical writers mean when they wrote about the gospel or the good news? Does our 21st century Western Christian idea of the gospel match the first century apostolic idea of the gospel? After this message, let's talk about the gospel and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind and the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. Okay, so those of you who've been with us for a while with Torah Talk Podcast probably know by now that when I ask a question about whether our 21st century Greek-influenced Western way of thinking matches 1st century Hebraic thinking, the answer is always a resounding no. no. <laughs> Uh, or we wouldn't be doing this, right? <laughs> exactly. And we'd have no reason for being here. Um, you know, it, it's funny, Gary, because we, we all have a frame of reference that's very limited. You know, yeah. it's usually just to our lifetime and our hemisphere of the world and yeah, maybe right. our country and maybe even more defined by our gender and, and all of those things, There's too. There's so much to it that we probably just take for granted. Don't think about, you know, you and I, if I, if I were sitting here and I say, oh, that's a piece of cake, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> right. But when I'm with our team in Ukraine, you know, Russian speaking or, you know, the different culture, and I say, that's a piece of cake, they're going to look at me like, no, that's a van. That's or, right. You know, or that's a, you know, no, what are you talking about? That's <laughs> you know? right. Raining cats and dogs and right, all of that. Yeah, those expressions. So, yes, we have these established cultural you know, expressions or ways of thinking that we just take for granted and don't, they don't always translate. And we, we have a 
we're also influenced by a time frame, okay, that, okay, usually it's our lifetime, okay, mm -hmm. that's the only, that's our reference point, okay, unless you're reading, uh, you're a student of history, okay, right. but our lifetime is a reference point. So, you know, I'm thinking about these young people today who may think global warming has always been a problem, uh -huh. but, you know, in the 70s, they were talking about global cooling. No, it's true. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, well, yeah, 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 Time the, Magazine, the, the, I think. Yeah, had the, the coming ice age. The coming ice the age. Yes. But if you were born in 2000, you don't remember you that. don't remember that. No. Well, it's like, like somebody growing up during the Depression. You wonder why they pinch every penny or they're so frugal, but because that's what they, they're, you know, that the lizard brain in them that we talked about, you know, they're, they're wired to, to save everything right. because of that depression. Or if they grew up during the war, you know, they, they have a different way of looking than, say, you or I, who are just shortly after the war ended. You know? Exactly. So I think that that's why it's really important to recognize this, right? Mm -hmm. Recognize that we do have limitations. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy, if we want to understand anything historically, we've got to venture outside our limited worldview. So true. Yeah. I mean, that that's just it, it's the same true with our Bible understanding. Mm -hmm. The Bible simply was not written in 2023 by oh, the Christians really? in America. You know, it's funny. We laugh at that. But, you know, I remember a woman approaching one of my former pastors saying, I want I only read the Bible that, that Jesus used, you know, and she was talking about the King James, I think, because, you know, the red letter. But, you know, these are this, some, sometimes I think we have to, you know, realize that not everybody sees clearly. Clearly, the, 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 you know, the ideas and the cultural practices <laughs> that we, we bring with us to the table um, when we're, you know, we're reading the Bible. We, 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 we have to understand that they hinder our ability to read what was written thousands of years ago in Israel and, and in the surrounding nations. You know. Absolutely. And I think otherwise, uh, we bring with it a kind of arrogance. Like we're oh, saying, yeah. okay, it's a, the whole world is, is uh, centered around me, mm. you know, in my culture and my understanding. That is, I think, a, a big factor in, mm. in Western Christianity, for sure. And of course, it's been for a long time in, in Christianity. So in order to drive this point in just a little bit more, um, I want us to look at another example. And you've heard me talk about this before, um, that trying to understand the Bible without understanding the cultural and historical uh, concepts that were around when the Bible was created without understanding the language of the Bible is trying to understand, like trying to understand a, a Shakespeare play <laughs> without knowing anything about Elizabethan England. Now, you can get some of it, and I know I've tried that before, right? <laughs> yeah. You can appreciate some themes, and you can laugh at some things. Like if somebody falls, you might think, okay, well, that's funny. But but you miss out on so oh, much, course, right? Yeah. So I, as I was preparing, I was trying to look at an example of this. And for instance, in Shakespeare's All's Well That Ends Well, there's a character named Diana, and she's speaking disparagingly of the main character, Bertram. And she says this. Since Frenchmen are so braid, marry that will, I live and die a maid. <laughs> so we look at that and we're like, what? But historically, what exactly Shakespeare meant by the word braid in this line is actually a long-standing mystery. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. So something that we think it might mean deceitful, and it's related to an old Scottish word, braidy, which means crafty or cunning. But whether or not this is the correct meaning remains unknown. 
So in this example, we're dealing with the English language. Okay, it's not a different language, right? right? And yet words and cultures and meanings have changed so much since the late 16th and early 17th century between England and America we still have trouble understanding it all. Yeah, it's true. And we're still talking the same language. So if it's tricky to understand a Western-born Englishman like Shakespeare, who used the same language and lived less than 500 years ago, how can we assume we can understand the mindset of a Middle Eastern-born Hebrew person who used an entirely different language and lived multiple thousands of years Good ago. Question. You know, question. even the best translations can sometimes only approximate words and ideas of different cultures and languages. Absolutely. You know, we have to be willing to concede that our way of understanding things in the Bible may, uh, may be significantly different than theirs. I mean, you know, I, we always say, if you don't understand what it meant to the original audience, we don't understand it. I mean, our Bibles were written in Hebrew, at least three quarters of it. And so um, if, we, if we don't have any real chance, uh, we, ha we hope, if we hope to have a real chance to understanding what was written by the Hebrew people, by Hebrew authors in a Hebrew language with a Hebrew culture, culture. we have to be willing to venture outside of our very limited non-Hebrew worldview. It's just a, a wise, logical first step sure. of understanding any piece of literature, any piece of writing. If you're going to go back and study um, the Civil War, you've got to understand the culture of what's going on in the yeah. North and the South and the history. That's why we study the Civil mm -hmm. War. Mm -hmm. And then we can understand what Lincoln wrote, you know, in his inaugural address, okay, because we understand what's going on. Amen. So if we go back, okay, now we're going to go back to the idea of the gospel, folks, okay? <laughs> we didn't go so far down that rabbit hole. We opened with what many Western Christians may envision when they hear hear the words preaching the gospel. Now, these scenarios may not necessarily be wrong, but are they entirely accurate? Do they encompass all that was intended for the original audience, just the like original, you said? Yes, right, yes, it right. has to be clear. Well, historically, Christianity has a limited definition of what the gospel is. So let's look, let's look at some of that. I mean, R.C. Sproul, he was a significant voice of the Reformation, um, you know, after Luther and, and Calvin. And he writes this. In Romans, Paul clearly sets out theological framework for us to understand the Christian faith. It is a comprehensive description of the way that God offers salvation to humankind and is good news. So notice that Sproul's emphasis on God's offer of salvation to individuals. That's what we think the good news is all about, namely getting saved. But could this be a very limited view of what the gospel really means, Kathy? I mean, we're saying that personal salvation message, I, I want to make this clear. Uh, yes. I want to make this very, very clear to our audience that the personal salvation message is, is part of the good news. It is part of it. It certainly is. An important part. But perhaps there's more. Exactly. You know, I, I I listened to that, and I remember, Gary, you've watched The Grinch, right? <laughs> the Grinch course. who stole Christmas, right? And there's a scene where it says, Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? <laughs> 
What a great way to introduce this. <laughs> so what if the gospel means just a little bit more? A little bit more. I mean, you know, and I know, I know there might be some who are listening or thinking, well, what, what is, what could be more than that? But then like, that's a myopic way of thinking. We're only thinking of ourselves. Yes, we appreciate the fact that we have now this relationship with uh, uh, the Creator because of, of what Yeshua. Yes, this Jesus personal said. relationship, super important. That's hugely yes. important, of course. But does that mean that it's all-encompassing? Could there be more? What do we say? Don't put God in a box. Exactly. Don't limit him. <laughs> so, so let's look at what the Bible actually says about the gospel. And we'll start by reading the book of Luke. I'm going to read Luke 9, verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Okay, Kathy, <laughs> we, we've got to discuss this right here and now. And I want our audience to stop and think about this for a moment. If the gospel is Jesus crucified, died, buried, and resurrected, and that's the gospel, then what were the disciples teaching when they went into the village from village to village? He hadn't died yet. He hadn't resurrected yet. Again, we mean no disrespect. That's important. That's huge. But it hadn't happened yet, and yet they're out teaching, preaching the gospel. I remember, Gary, when, you know, you remember those times when you first heard something like, or, or you remember where you were when something happened. Mm -hmm. I have one of those experiences with this exact same verse, right? Yeah. Some of you in the audience um, may know Michael Rood or may know of Michael Rood. And he was sitting at a friend's house in a Shavuot experience and being the rabbi that he was, he, you know, he's always talking about God's word and always teaching. He asked me that very mm, question. Gotcha. And I was, I had, I had no answer. I, 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 which he knew I wasn't going to have right. an answer, right? <laughs> so great question, yeah. um, a Jesus-style question. You know, he's like, but he knew what the answer was. He knew that I probably wasn't going to have it. And so I, I that was a paradigm shift. It, right. I, I was starting, I, I had to now accommodate this new understanding into my way of thinking. Because, you know, you have to stop and and say, you know, we just said he hadn't died, right? right. And been buried and resurrected. Um, so the gospel couldn't have meant that. But you could say, well, maybe Jesus had been talking about that. But the reality is the God, the Bible tells us that even the disciples didn't yet understand Correct. what was going to happen. Because we see in Matthew 16, 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow, what a rebuke. Whew. So even Peter didn't understand the gospel 
um, you know, in terms of Yeshua's death on the cross and resurrection, he was saying, no, 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 that's not it. (laughs) I'm not going to let that happen. You know, so he didn't even get it. And he was with Yeshua every single day, you know, so, um, you have, so these are important questions we have to ask, stop and ask ourselves and say, what are these assumptions that we carry with us? Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, on, on that topic, of course, probably most, if not all the disciples had the assumption that when Messiah came, they would overthrow Rome, right? You know, so we, you know, again, we, we, we're not going to go down this rabbit trail, but, you know, the idea of a suffering servant versus the, the conquering king. Um, two different messiahs, or were they both, or was it one? You know, they're, they're, exactly. They're, so they didn't know and understand know. it all, just like we don't know and understand it all. But exactly. God does this progressive revelation, and he reveals to his people who right. are seeking yeah. this information, he reveals it to uh, them. Yeah, thank God. We have retrospect. We get these downloads every once in a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I don't remember, I, I don't like. unlike you, I don't remember when I first read that and thought, Oh my gosh! Wait a minute. What were they preaching? Right. You know, uh, but I did, and I remember reading when when Yeshua was talking to Nicodemus and saying, "Well, wait a minute. He's asking him. You're a teacher of the Jews, and you don't know this. So there's an assumption there that he should have known something. Yeah, that's right. How could this born again experience or this regeneration from above been brand new? If he's asking this teacher of the Jewish people, well, how come you don't know? How this? come you don't know it? Right. So there's, there, yeah. But I, I do remember sitting, reading those things, and having those moments yes. where you go, "Wait a minute." Yes. Yeah. So, so was the gospel that the twelve disciples? I mean, what, what was it? What, what were they out there doing? Uh, Luke nine one through two says this: When Jesus had called the 12 disciples, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting some clues. Yes, the exactly. God. God. The good news comes from an, a Greek word. Can you, you pronounce ang- this? <laughs> I'm going to give it a try. Euangelion oh. uh, is the Greek word. But we call it evangelize. That's, That's right. where we get the yeah, word evangelize from. And most Christians would say the good news, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins. But here in the Bible, it says that Yeshua sent out the 12 to proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Hmm. Now, the kingdom was near because the king was near, King <laughs> Yeshua. <laughs> Every kingdom needs a king, right? Finally, this kingdom outpost that God has been establishing on earth since the garden has a king. That's the good news. That's great news. That's incredible news. Yes. <laughs> and, and it expands on the good news. You know, what we, we saw, we were looking at too small. Too myopically. Too myopically. Yeah, it's right. much bigger. The real story is this. Yeshua is king. And as his subjects, we participate in his kingdom with all the benefits and privileges belonging to kingdom citizens. It just is to me, okay, you know, here I am a, a Torah geek, a Torah nerd, right, <laughs> well, as are you. Yeah, and as maybe I. I can say that for probably most of our audience, maybe so. right, that once again, we're just so limiting of God. Yeah. You know, once again, we think, oh, we've got it all. And and and, and once again, we find out, mm, no, we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I speak often of one of our favorite Torah teachers, uh, Skip Moen, uh-huh. and he sends out something, he calls it the daily, today's word. And he had one and it was titled the gospel you never knew. And this is what he said. He goes, 
Now you might ask, so what difference does this make? You know, this idea of the gospel being one thing versus the other. I'm still saved. I, I still follow Jesus. You know, yes, he will reign eventually. So why should I care about this technical difference regarding this Greek word? I Gary, you said it so well, but but we use evangelize. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say the Greek word again. Okay. But the answer is simple. And uh, the answer is simple and significant. If the good news is about Yeshua's enthronement as king. Ooh. Mm. then salvation becomes a matter of fidelity to the king. I like that. Not a ticket to escape. Who? In other words, the gospel is not about God's offer of salvation. It's about living in accordance with the expectations of the king. The, I love that. I, I That's love, why I put it word for word. <laughs> yes, you can't improve on that. That, that is so well written. I mean, in other words, it's not about fire insurance. It's about the, a way of life. Here and now. Here and now. I, I love what, I, again, I've quoted this before from Moshe Kapinski, who said, you know, when we, when we focus on the destination and, and, and not, the, not the journey, we miss the whole point. That's right. We miss the whole point. We've got an opportunity right here and now to obey the king and to show uh, how much we love him. And, you know, I, Kathy, I've done, unfortunately, um, two funerals over the course of this past uh, year and or last 12 months. And I've read this verse because I want people to think very, very strongly about it. And, and I think it's appropriate here. It's from Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says... Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Mm. Well, now our audience should be saying, well, isn't God always near? Isn't he always, can he always be found? And the answer is yes, but we only have one lifetime That's to right. do it. We have one lifetime. Don't waste this it. This is it, folks. This is it. This is Get, it. Find out what the king wants of you and do, do it. And do it. Yeah. It reminds me of... I know you've all heard this, the phrase of Christians being so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Right. And that's kind of that same idea yeah. that you're so set on this destination there that you you forget the journey mm-hmm. and it, you know, what what good are you here? Okay. So I, it also reminds me of uh, you know, John 3:16, for God so loved the world. You know, we often use, think of this in terms of God so loved me, Kathy, right. okay, right. that he gave his only begotten son. But the word there is cosmos, and it means world, uh, it, it's correct, and it also means order. I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. The order that he created. So it's not just about me. Yes, I am included. I can choose to be involved in that order. Okay. Right. And and so that was for me, but it is so much bigger. So much bigger. And you know, to keep order, you need law. Uh, and you yes. need someone to enforce that. And I do believe that the king will continue, when, especially in the millennial reign, will enforce that. That's but right. To keep order. We, you know, otherwise you have chaos. And who's the author of that? Confusion and chaos. Exactly. And that's yeah. the kind of stuff that we're seeing in the world today. When we kick out the order maker, Amen. you know, we have this chaos. Yeah. But, you know, so the reality is that the Christian version of the gospel is not only truncated, but actually a little self-centered. 
You know, I've got my ticket to heaven, so I'm good. And I've kind of, I've, I've heard it expressed this way even recently, this idea that, okay, I actually heard this recently. Well, if eating bacon is actually a sin, then I can eat it because I'm forgiven. <laughs> okay. Now, what did Paul say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Right? <laughs> right? So it's not just about your ticket to heaven. It's how you live on this earth. And it's according to the king's laws. Like Amen. you said, the king's order. We don't make up the order. We are not the king. That's right. And I, I think that's that's where we get back to idolatry when we think we know better than God. That's right. You know, Kathy, we've discussed this before. I think we're all fairly, you know, fans of of the of Bonhoeffer, mm -hmm. and he did, he he coined this as cheap grace. What you're talking about, and I, I pulled up a quote, and there's so many. I mean, it's how do you narrow it down? But I, I found this one I thought was appropriate. Um, it's Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer asking the question, "Who stands fast?" He asked, and then he said, "Only the man." whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and in an exclusive allegiance to God, the responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and call of God. Amen. 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 That's exactly what we're talking about. It is. It's not about getting out of here. It's about what we're doing now. Amen. And 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 he's and he's watching. <laughs> and if we were had been focusing on that all these thousands of years, how much better the world would be. We all we know that. I, right? I can't. You know, I I think I did. I mention it to you, uh, or maybe if on the podcast last week. I was listening to uh, Jeremy Gimpel from, uh, you know, from Israel, and he said, you want to defund the police? Go ahead. Just keep Torah. <laughs> Just keep Torah. You know, we wouldn't need armies. We wouldn't need police. We wouldn't need, if everybody was keeping Torah, we wouldn't need you know, those who Amen. have to enforce you Amen. Know, that way. Amen. You know, Galatians 3.8 is another verse that makes much better sense than we, you know, when we consider the gospel message, what it's about. Um, and what it's about the idea of God establishing his kingdom on earth. Galatians 3.8 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. <laughs> the gospel. The gospel. Was We're preached to Abraham. <laughs> that, yeah, obviously we're, we're, we're hearing that the good news was preached to Abraham. And... We're talking about, you know, what, uh, 2,000 years prior to Jesus walking the earth? So again, what could that have been? If, right. if even Peter didn't get it, could Abraham have understood the specifics of Yeshua's death and resurrection for the purpose of forgiveness of sins? I, I, you know, in my opinion, Kathy, Abraham's point of reference had to be the restoration of the garden. That's the only thing That's that, only he knew. The only thing I could think that he would know is that if God's going to restore, the good news is I'm going to use you, Abraham, to restore all things. And he didn't know it was going to take thousands of years. No. And, and his only frame of reference was to get back to the relationship we had with God in the garden. Mankind had with, with God. And if we garden. could do that, wouldn't all nations be blessed? Amen. Yeah. 
And that's, see, the nations are missing it. Right. The nations are missing the fact that even through, through Israel, they have an opportunity to be blessed. Look at how the nations treat Israel. Oh, absolutely. And they're missing what God absolutely. is Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about this verse, because this has always been interesting to me, this verse, this Galatians 3, 8, okay, mm-hmm. preach the gospel. And I'm thinking about Abraham, okay? And Abraham, what most of what Abraham experienced in his interactions with God, in addition to the promise of the land, which was important, right? Okay. Involved the promise of a son. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which was an extremely big deal for him and Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's easy to understand Abraham's distress when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. But as believers, we look back at the sacrifice of Isaac as a pattern for the future Messiah who would die for our sins. But really, folks, could Abraham have understood that? For him, the sacrifice of Isaac was not about offering Isaac as a substitute for sin, because there's really no hint of this in the Genesis story. He's not a substitute for sin. But rather, the sacrifice of Isaac was a test to see if Abraham would obey God completely. And if God is establishing a kingdom on earth, the establishment of which would be a blessing, right, to Mm -hmm, everybody, mm -hmm. then this is a test of Abraham's allegiance to the kingdom and to the king. Amen. Abraham performed well. He was a good and faithful servant of the king. You know, I always like to think of this as Abraham set the parameters of the covenant in the sense that if he was willing to give his son, God would be willing to give his. Wow, yeah. I know, and so this was about obedience. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. That's it. it, 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 hmm, That message never changes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's look at another verse of the gospel. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, or slash the gospel of God, right? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Ooh, we got a wow. word in there. <laughs> in this verse, Yeshua himself is proclaiming the good news, the gospel. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. So there's that word, repent. Which, this is intimately tied to the gospel message. Amen. And it's sadly missing. To the, the idea of teshuva is the 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 um, Hebrew word here is to turn 180 degrees from the direction you're going and walk in the direction of God. That's right. That's once again walking, walking in and, and 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 com- complete submission to the King. Amen. I mean, I, I, again, when when you started this program with the idea of do we vision a, a somebody preaching a message an evangelist or whatever. Honestly, and I mean no disrespect, they're out there and probably very heartfelt, you know, uh, desire to to bring people to God. But where is this call of repentance? Where is this call to walk according to the will of God, which is the Torah, which is his instruction for us? Because the idea that if I get saved for the very purpose of going to heaven, then what I do on earth doesn't really matter that much. You know, that's where we get that idea. Well, okay. If I, if I sin, God will forgive me. So I might, I can go ahead and sin, Mm. you know? And Paul's like, Heaven forbid, right. <laughs> you know, no, don't does, do that. It lessens the significance of our journey. It, it really does. It absolutely yeah. does. So, so 
we've got this concept, repentance, which is getting your act in line with God's, right? Getting your behavior Mm -hmm. in line with God's. And then it says, it talks about in this verse, it talks about believing in the good news. And um, there's another Greek word in there, pistuo, okay? And it means to trust or have faith. Now, Yeshua was asking the people to trust him that the kingdom was near, to trust so much so that they would bring their behavior in alignment with that of the king. Mm-hmm. And of course, as this king, he was going to show them how to do it. Yeah. He demonstrated he, they should be emulating. All of us should be emulating, emulating the king, yes. bringing our behavior mm-hmm. in line with his. That is the whole teshuva idea. Right. You know? So the idea of a kingdom brings, it, brings with it this need for all the subjects of the kingdom to live in accordance with the expectations of the king. Amen. The king's law is the law of the land. And what is the law of the land in God's kingdom on earth? The answer is Torah, folks. That's the only law. It's That's the, the order that we were talking about just a few minutes ago. That's it. There's no other one. There's God didn't give us anything else That's right. except for that. And we were warned. And I mean, because this is not a new problem. And we've been discovering as we as we investigate the language of John's writing, of Paul's writings, of you know, the these these issues crept into the early movement. I mean, from from the beginning, there were those who were trying to pervert the message. Of the gospel. Of the gospel, of the good news. So um, mm. here we read Paul in Galatians. Now what you in Galatians? I'm gonna read Galatians one, six through nine. Okay. And he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. Now, there it is. See, right Right away. Right right away. In his day. I mean, this is still first century. Mm -hmm. You have people turning away from the the original message. He says, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ or the Messiah to a different gospel, Kathy. So already there was the idea of a different gospel. Already. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Whew. Wow, that's now that's a warning. <laughs> and 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 so we've been saying, Gary, that the gospel message is about bringing yourself in alignment to the 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 king, okay? Yeah. And 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 his way of living. The gospel message is the kingdom is near. Remember that's what the the, the apostles were right. saying. Right. The kingdom is near. Repent. Amen. It, that's the gospel message. So a gospel message that does not include that, I think is what Paul is warning about here. I, I, it appears that way. And, and I think once again, for us in our generation, I think we, we can look now as to the season we're living in and what God is doing. And I think we can heed the the expansion on this good news that we read in Isaiah. But you know, because we're we're gonna read we're gonna read from Isaiah two here in a moment about the future millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. 
but what about right now? Which is obviously our point. That's right. What right now. Right now. Right now. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah gives us, I believe, a beautiful clue as to what we could be we could be looking at and to expand our understanding of what God is doing today. Isaiah 52, starting in um, verse 7. I'm gonna. I think I can pull. I'll pull seven quick points out of what I think he's saying here, um, when he says how beautiful. Now this is a familiar verse, but I think we, it's been misunderstood. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings tidings of good things. We've been talking about the gospel of the kingdom, good news. Who's the prince of peace? Who's going to bring peace to the earth for a thousand years? Here's this, here's, I think, Isaiah already hinting at the millennial reign about the, and what the good news is. But then it talks about what we can do, I think, in the meantime. Point two, who proclaim, who proclaim salvation, as we know, is part of it. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, that's a, that's a theme that is missing, I think, from the gospel that's being preached in most, most of the world. Your God reigns, Zion, not the God of my own making, not the Christian God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah himself. He's the God that reigns. So part of that proclamation we're supposed to be making is, your God, your Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen will lift up their voices and their voices shall be uh, a sing, sing together. So we're, we've got a, a command about being, a, you know, we all talk about being watchmen. We're supposed to proclaim this. And part of that message is, Zion, your God reigns. Okay? Point three. For they will see eye to eye when Jehovah brings back Zion. Okay. We're living in that. And I'm talking about our generation now. Maybe, maybe generations past could not have seen God restoring Zion. But we can. We have no excuse. And we're, to, we're going to be able to see eye to eye, not only Jew and Gentile seeing eye to eye, but at some point soon, when, after he's restored them, we'll see eye to eye with our Messiah, our That's King. Right. That's okay? right. Break forth into joy and singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for Jehovah has comforted his people. There's that restoration. We're living in that day where your Jerusalem has been restored, the way cities have been restored. All right, so point four, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of the nations, and all, all the ends of the earth shall, shall, shall see the salvation of God. Point four is we should be able to see God in action. If we have eyes to see, he's rolled up his sleeve. He's, he's gotten to work. We're seeing it. <laughs> That's we're, right. We're able to see it. Rolled up his sleeve. <laughs> well, it says he's made bare his holy That's arm. exactly okay? what that means. He rolled point, up his sleeves. <laughs> point five. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean. You who bear the vessels of, the, of Jehovah. Okay. Depart, go out, separate yourself from the unclean. Remember, Kathy, we've talked a lot about that separation. We're not to be a part of this world. We're in it, but we need to separate ourselves, especially those who bear the vessels here. That word in the Hebrew can also mean armor or weapon. 
what's the weapon of God? The, the, the word of the God, word is, of God. Is, is, is described as a two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. We have the word. We're the ones who are carrying the vessel of God in us. We're to keep ourselves separate and be able to be clean and so we can show the world what the word, tell the world what it and, is. And, and in, in Christianity, even that concept of clean and unclean is not one that's discussed at all. It's not. Because only God defines what's clean and unclean. Amen. Okay, so we have to turn back to Torah and see what that is. And there, we're talking about the gospel message being connected to the idea of distinguishing yes. between the clean and, and unclean. And how can you distinguish if you don't know? If you Torah? don't know. Absolutely. And the final point, number seven, is that um, it says you shall go uh, not go out with haste nor by flight, for the Jehovah will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So there's that you know we we quote all the time, um, all things work for good for those who love the Lord, but uh, that we forget and who. If we forget that part. A lot of times it'll be those who all things work for good, but we forget for those who love, love the, Lord the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Right? So we can't count on the protection of God if we're not walking in his purpose, but we can count on it if we are. And so I, that's good news. It's so much more it's so much than the, the very limited, self-centered, I'm escaping and going to heaven. It is so much bigger. And that's what we're trying to get a, 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 across. Once again, not that we don't value the part that we that Yeshua suffered and died on the cross and Amen. rose again uh, for our sins, but... It's so much more. Allow God, folks, to show you all that He has for us, and 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 receive all that He has. Don't don't say, "Oh, I just want this little piece of it." Right. You know, why you, limit yourself? If you want to be if you want to be selfish, why limit yourself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Go but, for all of it. Well, <laughs> but, but no, because I think what that does when you see all of it, then you 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 you're not being selfish. Then you realize you have to turn outward to your fellow man, and this is this is be part of how you walk it out. Exactly. So, you know, uh, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord, right. okay, which the loving of the Lord, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Amen. right? And the second is loving the, your brother like yourself. That's right. And so now you see, okay, is this, this, this gospel message really isn't just about, about me going to heaven. It's about me and my fellow man. And, and, you know, Gary, the way that we, we change the world. Yes, we can share in our words, but the way we change the world, when the world's uh, looking at us, they're looking at what we're doing. Amen. Okay. The first watching. thing we hear from those who reject Christianity and Christians is this idea of hypocrisy. Of course. Okay. We say one thing and we do another. It's the number one argument against Christianity when it comes to non-believers. Exactly. So, so what we're talking about is getting fully congruent here with God's word. So, what we're saying, we we say, and it is consistent with what we're doing. And then that's how the world has changed. And that's how people are, are come, come to the King. Okay. Yeah. And learn to live in his kingdom, yeah. you know? And, and I think this idea of kingdom, we're actually folks, we're going to do an, another couple podcasts on the idea of kingdom because 
we in the West don't live under a king. And so we have a uh, this idea of democracy or representative republic or whatever is not a kingdom. Right. We're not used to that uh, concept. Especially in the West, we're not used to Well, maybe I shouldn't say in all the West, because obviously in the UK, uh, in Britain, they're used to a monarchy. But again, not quite the same. No. Um, and, you know, but we, we want to, we want our freedoms. We want to be able to, to um, you know, feel that we have some sovereignty over our own lives. Um but, but in a kingdom, there's one there's sovereign. one sovereign. And, and everybody and, else is subject to and, that. But, but that gives us such a beautiful freedom to live a perfect according to his purpose. I mean, there, there, it's, it's a paradigm shift for sure. Because we, we think if we live our own purpose or our own way, that's... That's the beauty of life. Yeah, we think that's our goal. That's the good that's yeah. the good news. That's not the, that's good, not news. the good news. That's because, not the good because news. Because look what it's gotten us. You know, they old what was it uh, uh, Dr. Phil, how's that worked for you? Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, look at look at um, look at the world and how that's worked for us when every man's upright in his own eyes. Right. Yeah. So I we do need to look at this idea of kingdom, folks, you know, because that's what God's trying to do right. here on earth. Amen. Amen. And and it's the future. And all we, we can do is today is practice. That's right. For the future. That's this right. pattern holds f- um, completely true for the future. In fact, Isaiah speaks of it. And this, and this is also found in, in uh, uh, Micah. Um, it's mm. the same, same prophecy. So I believe we, sh- we should take notice of it. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The Torah will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay. I got to make a point here because this is so obvious to me, but it's so overlooked. We say in the Christian world, a lot of, all the time we hear that the Torah has been done away with, right? All right. How does that make sense that God would give the Torah, that Jesus would take it away, and that when Jesus comes back, the Torah is taught from Jerusalem again? Exactly. Because we don't understand, well, for one thing, because in our translations, we don't see the word Torah. Right. Okay. So right. we see law. Then we have this negative connotation associated mm-hmm. with law. And so you're exactly right. When if the, if the Torah was in effect before, and it's clearly in effect when Yeshua returns, doesn't it just make sense that it probably hasn't gone away? <laughs> exactly as Yeshua said exactly. in Matthew five seventeen. I haven't come to abolish the Torah or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Amen. It hasn't gone anywhere. We are the ones who have strayed from it, but it is still the law of the land. And okay, absolutely. the law of the king. And Yeshua is this king that God is establishing a kingdom on earth with Yeshua as the king in Jerusalem. Okay, Isaiah just told us, centered in Jerusalem. Remember, everything's centered in Israel. Okay, and when he's here, 
reigning on earth, folks. Okay, when you some people know this as the millennial kingdom, this mm-hmm. thousand year reign on earth in the future. It is his will that's going to be, be done, and his will is the Torah. Amen. I mean, you know, if we if we claim to if we pray what we call the Lord's Prayer and say, <laughs> Your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for right here. We're praying, we're praying for, for that. We're praying for the kingdom and we are in the process of being involved in the restoration. Right. So when we pray thy kingdom come, right. thy will be done, we don't have to wait until Yeshua is here. We can do it right we now. We can do it right, right. now, okay? Yeah. This is where we partner with God. Right. He'll finish it all up. But we're in the process now, you know, Acts 3.21, he must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. We're part of that restoration if we choose to be. That's right. That's right. The restoration process. I think that that going back to what I said about Abraham is what he expected. And I think I believe if we're going to have the faith of Abraham, we have that same expectation whether it's it's hundreds of years from now or it's tomorrow, we're supposed to be a part of that restoration process. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. You know, if the gospel is the message about God's kingdom coming to earth and thus the need to repent and align ourselves to the expectations of the king, what would the adversary do to get us off track, Kathy? I mean, ob- to me, it's quite obvious Get people away from the Torah. Get people yes. away from the from the instructions of God. Yes. If this is God's purpose to establish his will on earth, the adversary's purpose is no, no, no. You don't have to do that. That is done away with. Right. That has been abolished. Gosh, you know, as you were saying that, all I could I could hear him in the garden. Saying, well, you know, did God really say that, you know, the, the day that you touch that you will die? I mean, you know, did you really have to keep that that food prohibition? Yeah. Why, why would you have to Just do that? Just as you were saying that. I mean, he's, it's not, his strategy hasn't changed. <laughs> his strategy is the same. Well, you don't have to keep those rules anymore. That's right. That was, that was for an ancient time. And the reality is... No one has to do it. No, it's a choice. It, it, just like Adam and Eve had in the garden that choice of whether to eat from the tree of life mm. or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the thing is, God knew that when they did it, the result is death. Okay? Right. Right. It, it's not that it's a curse. It's just that you eat a poison, whatever, the result is death. That's just right. the way things are set up to be, yeah. right? That's yeah. just the way things are set up. So if if it's God's purpose, then the adversary is going to go against those purpose. So if, if it's God's purpose that is will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the adversary is going to go, no, don't do his will. That's good, Kathy. I like that. That's, you're abs- that's, that simplifies it, doesn't it? But Gary, I think what I'm thinking, and this is where you you and I are kind of, we're having some, experiencing some, you know, we plan these in advance, what we're going to say, and then we have a discussion, you know, <laughs> just off the cuff, obviously. Uh-huh. But there are definitely times when even we're in the middle of these discussions where it really hits us. Um, but what's hitting me right now 
is it's not the world, just the world saying, don't do this. It's the church yeah. as an institution yeah. saying, don't do this. That That's the horrific part about it. That's the tragedy of all this, Kathy. We we recently um, did, a, did a message together in front of a live audience and um, purposely we said, you know, what we get ourselves in trouble when we do this. We, as we, in God's people. God's people. We were talking to, you know, judgment begins in the house of God. We were talking to, uh, and, and this is what's happened. How can we expect the world to behave any differently if the church is seen as, as you said earlier, hypocrites, but mainly because of do what we see right in our own eyes. That's right. Why are there 41,000 denominations? Because everybody sees what's right in their own eyes and they're doing it. And so you have everything from, uh, you know, what we would call Christian orthodoxy to uh, very liberal, progressive, you know. All under the guise, under the guise of, of Christianity. Christianity. And so how... That do, cannot be so. No, I mean, it can't. It can't, be. It can't <laughs> be. So, you know... We we talk about. I know we had a recent. Uh, we had this beautiful text conversation going on about what is religion, um, and and you know we're, we're the difference is I think simply as it's simply as I can put it, the difference between man made rules and God's instruction. Right. Is religion is man made rules and we have that we're all over the map. But if you go to God's instruction, we can find a universal code of conduct in that. Right. And it has to be the people of God that choose to do this first, because the world is not going to do it. They do not care. So we can't look to them or even expect anything of them. We can't expect anything of them. They've rejected God anyway. Why would they care what his his rules of conduct are? Okay. Right. So before we go out and just keep saying the world, the world, the world is going to hell. And I mean, look at look what they're what they're what they, they are doing. doing. Right. Look what they are doing to our world, to our country. What have we done? That's right. As believers. As believers. Right. What have we done to contribute to that downward spiral? Absolutely. You know, all of you in our audience know that the journey of those of us who are discovering the Hebraic roots of our faith, it's not an easy one. It requires lots of humility and the willingness to admit that perhaps we've been wrong in our understanding of our faith. This journey requires us to question what we know, why we know it, who taught it to us, and does it line up with Scripture? It sometimes requires us to take a stand in opposition to opinions of leadership within the church and opinions of friends and loved ones. And we do this always in love, Gary, right? We always would. And and I always like to say, if somebody asks me, what is your opinion of homosexuality? You know, Kathy's opinion of homosexuality doesn't matter at all. Let me tell you what the king. Right thinks about that. Yeah. My opinion doesn't That's matter, good, right? Well, these are all they're they're hard things, they're hard discussions, they're they're hard things to do. This journey also reveals to us the breadth and the depth of God's infinite ways compared to our own very finite ways. We learn that God refuses to be limited by our limitations. Mm-hmm. 
This journey is one that draws us closer to our Heavenly Father, closer to our Messiah, Yeshua, and brings brings all of us in line with his redemptive plans on this earth. This is indeed the good news. Amen, sister. Amen. (laughs) Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.